Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the salvation that we have through Jesus Christ, your Son. We just pray, Lord, that as we live our lives as sinners, Lord, we still rejoice in your salvation. Lord, we give thanks for all the blessings that you have bestowed upon us. Lord, we may not take for granted the freedom that we have to meet together today to worship you, to sing praises to you, Lord, that you would be glorified throughout the world, throughout our country, through our community, Lord. May you be glorified in all that we do and say. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, and we will have uh, Sharon Van Eaton uh, come and read is it the psalm. Oh, yeah, Dennis. Sorry, I'm sorry. You can. Dennis is going to read the psalm too. I'm sorry, I didn't read that right. So, Psalm 180. It's in your pew Bibles, uh, 581, 580, 581, or you can open up your own Bibles to that. I won't say anything about getting old. <laughs> All right, Psalm 81, or excuse me, Psalm 80. Uh, to the choir master, according to the lilies, a testimony of Asaph, a psalm. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock. You who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth. Before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh, stir up your might and come to save us. Restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we may be saved. O Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? You have fed them with the bread of tears and given them tears to drink in full measure. You make us an object of contention for our neighbors and our enemies laugh among themselves. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine on shine that we may be saved. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and its roots to the river. Why then have you broken down its walls so that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit? The boar from the forest ravages it, and all that move in the field feed on it. Turn again, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see. Have regard for this vine, the stock that your right hand planted, and for the son whom you made strong for yourself. They have burned it with fire. They have cut it down. May they perish at the rebuke of your face. But let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man whom you have made strong for yourself, then we shall not turn back from you. Give us life, and we will call upon your name. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear Father, you are the creator 
the sustainer of all our lives. We see your mighty works in the world all around us. We've enjoyed the sun, the warmth on our bodies, and to see how the flowers and the trees grow, for the cloud formations that we see above us. We experience the change of the season, seeing the leaves begin to turn and noticing changes in our gardens. We see all around us mountains. We enjoy the seacoasts, the beauty of flowers, trees, each bird, each animal, each fish and insect you have designed. May your name be exalted above anyone or anything in our world today. We pray for the kingdom that you are building through our church and the other churches across the world. We're learning to love Jesus more and more each day. We're reading our Bibles and finding God's direction for our lives daily. May we touch the lives of friends and family so that we can bear witness to God's grace to all people. Lord, we are a needy people. We have physical needs and we pray for those who are experiencing difficulties. We have emotional needs. We become depressed. Sometimes we're discouraged. And Father, sometimes the relationships that we have are with difficult people. And we pray for those to be worked out in your time. And sometimes, Lord, we have financial issues, and we pray for those. Forgive us for failing you. We are weak, so we pray for strength from you. Forgive us for judging or criticizing others. Teach us to walk with them so that they will strengthen their walk with you. And we are <coughs> failing to get to give witness many times. We know we have had perfect opportunities to share with someone that you, that you placed in our life, and we were afraid. We pray for our missionaries around the world. Keep them safe from harm. Double their impact for the gospel wherever they serve. May we be faithful to pray for them and to give financially to meet their needs. May our worship today be devoted to honoring you, Lord. May our hearts be uplifted because we've been in your presence today. May it be a sweet melody to you, Lord, because we love you so much. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and our King. Amen. Amen. Well, one of the one of the great opportunities that we've had over the last several months is to hear different uh, men preach and some from our own elder board. And uh, we have the privilege of hearing from uh, Pastor Bob Lowe. Most of you know Peter Lowe. This is, this is uh, Peter's dad. And uh, when you see his PowerPoint and everything, you'll know where Peter got all of that stuff. So, so anyway, just uh, Bob, we, we welcome you to the pulpit and come and share with us. Thank you. 
Well, thank you for the uh, inviting me to uh, share with you today. It's uh, uh, familiar faces here, and uh, enjoy the time I've worshipped with you before with Peter and his and his family. Um, today we're going to start a start a two part series entitled "Biblical Love and Marriage," and today we're going to focus on love and contrasting biblical love with secular love in terms of difference of the concept. And then next week, we're going to be looking at marriage and doing the same thing. So let's pray as we look to God's word. Father, we thank you uh, for your word. We thank you for the truth that's in it. And we thank you that as we learn the truth and live it, that we are blessed. And we just ask for your blessing today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, we tend to use the word love in our society uh, very broadly. For example, I could say, I love ice cream. So what does that mean? Well, what do I do to ice cream? I eat it. I destroy it, right? I don't preserve it. I don't, you know, make sure that it's safe. In fact, I destroy it, right? So even though I say I I love ice cream, perhaps better would be say I lust after ice cream, right? I like the taste, I like the way it makes me feel in that way. You know, men say, tell women that they love them, women tell men that they love them, but what, what does that mean? What does it really mean? Because that word love is pretty broad in, in that way. So today as we move toward the goal of looking at the dynamics of biblical love, I thought we'd start off by looking at some dynamics of uh, love just in our society as we grow up and we've kind of learn about love from the world around us. So we can do that by identifying what is upheld by our society as great stories of love relationships from classical literature or movies. So what are some examples of great love stories from history or from plays? What first comes to mind? Romeo and Juliet. That's right. So Romeo and Juliet would be an example. As far as movies goes, Titanic in 1997 was billed as a great love story. If you go way back to the 70s, you had actually love story, right? And then if anybody's heard or remembers Cleopatra from ancient history classes, she had famous romances, uh, first with Julius Caesar and then with Mark Anthony, and Hollywood made a couple movies about that. Now, you may not be familiar with these, but France, there's a story of uh, Cyrano de Bergerac. And then from Spain, you have a story of El Cid that was made into a Hollywood movie. So we have some examples of great love stories that Hollywood's made into movies and uh, puts these forth. Okay? So what is the result of these great love stories? So what happens in Romeo and Juliet? What They both die, right? Romeo doesn't fare so well, neither does uh, uh, Juliet. So if we look at the results, go ahead, next slide. So Romeo and Juliet, they both die. So that's the next slide, right? Okay, so that takes care of Romeo and Juliet. What happens on Titanic? Guy dies, okay? And then what happens in Love Story, those you remember? She dies, that's right. And so what happens to Cleopatra and Julius Caesar? What? 
Well, eventually, but first, Julius gets uh, assassinated by Brutus, right? Political assassination. So that ends that love story. And then she pairs off with Mark Anthony. Remember, Mark Anthony has the big battle defending Cleopatra in Egypt. He gets killed. And when she hears about it, what does she do? She dies. She takes the snake and gets bitten, and she dies. So now you, we come to the story of Cyrano de Bozerac and El Cid. Even though you don't know those stories, maybe, what can you guess? Somebody dies. Yes, that's right. In that case, both of the guys die. So what's the deal? Why in all these great love stories do you kill somebody off? Well, the reason is that the world's concept of love is romantic love. And romantic love is based on feelings or emotions. And the highest form of romantic love is tragic love. You see, tragic love is the highest form. Why is that the highest form? It's because romantic love is based on feelings, and feelings go up and down, so you kill somebody off up here where the feelings are real high, and so there you have tragic love. Because, see, what happens when Romeo and Juliet get married, you know, and they have three kids, and she's at home, and he's taking over the family business, you know, and he's having a rough time there. Where are the emotions? All up and down, right? And in fact, although they still love each other, I mean, marriage and raising kids and running a business is just hard, right? And boring sometimes. They're just tired, right? I mean, what do you mean this high emotion thing? I'm just trying to get through the day, right? That's life. So we can't maintain this fever pitch, right, in that way. So the only way you can do that is to kill somebody off. So what do you think about this model of love? How would it function in real life? Is it a good model to follow? No, it makes for short relationships and short marriages, okay, in, in that way. Not very, very good. It might be okay for movies, you know, a good cry and, and stuff like that, but you don't want to base your life on this kind of love and this model of love. You're going to be disappointed in one way or another. So where can we find a different model, a different dynamic of love relationships that's more practical and actually would bring a long life and fulfillment? Well, the greatest love relationship of all time, for all time, is the relationship in the Trinity, God the Son, God the Father, and God the Holy Spirit. The Bible says some things about the relationship between the Holy Spirit and the rest of the Trinity, but most of the time what you find in the New Testament is the relationship between God the Father and God the Son. So if we can understand that dynamic in terms of a love relationship, then we would truly understand and have a good basis of what love is and how to model our lives for it. So let's look at the greatest love relationship, the relationship between God the Father and God the Son. So John 5, 35 says, The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. So what kind of love does the Father have 
toward God the Son. How does he express it? It says that he gives all things to him. So the Father expresses his love to the Son with a giving love in that way. Let's see how the Son expresses his love to the Father. John 14, 31 says, But so the world might know that I, I, Jesus, love the Father. I do exactly as the Father commanded me. Get up and let us go from here. So John 14, 31 says that the way people would know that the Son loves the Father is that he do, does exactly as the Father commanded him. So what kind of love does the Son have toward the Father? How does he express that love? It's an obedient love or a submitting love. So he, the Son submits to the desires of the, or will of the Father. So you have a diagram of the dynamics of the love between God the Father and God the Son. God the Father expresses a giving love. God the Son expresses a submitting love. But how does that work? How does this combination of the giving and submitting love create the greatest love relationship? Well, let's take a closer look at that dynamic. The Bible says the Father gives all things unto the Son. So what, what's the dynamic in being able to do that? Let me give you an example. Let's say that I had a successful business and you work for me. And I come to the point of wanting some time off. You know, I've worked, uh, you know, 30 years in this business and stuff. And I'm thinking, boy, this has taken most of my life. But I'd really like to take some time off, go hunting and fishing in Alaska. So I say to you one morning, I say, hey, Jim, count up. Listen, you know, I'm going to go hunting, go fishing, take some time off, go to Alaska. You know, here's the keys to the building. Here's the passwords. Here's the account balance. I'm going to be gone at least six months, maybe a year if I really enjoy myself. See you later. I take off. And you're thinking, what did I just do? I mean, I just gave, you know, you know, 30 years of my life in this business, and I just handed it over to this guy. How could I do that? I have to what? I'd have to trust him. That's right. Because I've basically given over my life and my financial security to this person saying that I, I trust him. So the total giving the, of the father to the son is an expression of trust in that way. So how does the son express his love to the father? Well, he says, I'll, I'll do anything you ask me to. I'll do your will. I'll submit completely to you. Let me give you an example of the dynamic in that kind of love. Let's reverse it. Let's say I worked for Jim for 20 years or so, and I come up to him and say, you know, Jim, I really enjoy working for you, and I'll work for you uh, every day of the year, except on leap year, February 29th. That's my birthday, and I'd like to take that day off. And you're thinking, is this guy crazy, right? But if I'm not crazy, and I'm actually expressing that kind of commitment to you in regards to your business, what are you thinking? Man, where can I get commitment like that. In order for me to do that, though, I would have to trust you, right? Trust you that whatever you ask me to do, that you would 
have my best interests at heart. That working for you 365 days a year, that you would not abuse that relationship, right? So, again, what happens is trust. And so, God the Son, and, and totally submitting to the Father, you have a trust. So, even though they look very different, right? A giving love and a submitting love, they're based on the same dynamic. They're based on trust. So, the basis of romantic love is feelings. But the basis of biblical love, God's love, is trust. All good relationships are based on trust. Think about that. You're buying a car from a dealership, which one do you go to? One you trust. You're getting your car repaired, who do you go to? Some do you trust. And you see that that's the dynamic that makes relationships work. So, good relationships are based on trust. So let's see how the Father expresses his love toward us. So, familiar verse, right? John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he what? Gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So how does the Father express his love for us? Giving love, right, in that, in that way. Now let's see how the Son, Jesus Christ, expresses love for us. Ephesians 5.2. And walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us as an offering and sacrifice to God as a, a fragrant aroma. So how does God the Son express his love toward us? Giving love again, right? Let's see how the Holy Spirit expresses his love toward us. Romans 5, 5. And hope does not leave us, leave us disappointed because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. How does the, God the Holy Spirit express his love toward us? He gives himself, his very presence. Even though we're in this sinful body, the Holy Spirit dwells in us to draw us to God, to connect us with God, and guide us into a righteous life. Thank goodness. Amen. <laughs> so how does God express his love to us? Let's summarize. The Father, right, gave his Son. The Son gave his life. He died for our sins on the cross that we might live. And the Holy Spirit gives himself. He dwells in our sinful bodies to guide us and create us, make us holy before God. So you see, in each case, each person in the, Holy, in, in the Godhead has expressed their love toward us in a giving love. So what about us? How are we supposed to express our love toward God? Well, Romans 14, uh, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So how are we to express our love? Obedience, right? Submission. John 14, 23, Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you heard from is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So the expression of our love for God is through obedience or submitting love. 
What's interesting is that God loves us in the same way that he loves his son, Jesus Christ, right? And he expects us to love him in the same way that his son, Jesus Christ, loved him. Now, that should make sense because we're adopted children, right? So the same relationship God the Father has with his only begotten son is the same relationship that he has with us, his adopted children. Also, Hebrews 11.6 should make more sense because it says, without faith, it is impossible to please God, right? But what's another word for faith? Trust, right? And trust is the way we express love, and the way we express that love is through obedience. So you have these words, faith, trust, love, obedience, and they're all related. You're not going to have one without the other in your relationship with God. So when he, it says without faith is impossible to please God, what that means is you're trusting God. That means you're expressing your love to God by being obedient. Faith always results in obedience from a biblical standpoint when it talks about faith because it moves us in that way toward trusting and then obeying God. Well, let's look at one more relationship and that's the love relationship in marriage between a husband and a wife. Let's first look how biblically a husband is to love his wife. Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wife just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. So husbands ought to also love their wives as they don't do their own body. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes it, cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself. And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. So how is a husband to love his wife? In the same way as Christ loved the church and as children of God, with what kind of love? <clears throat> Giving love, right? <clears throat> Just as Christ gave himself in the church. Let's see he biblically how a wife is to love her husband. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. But as the church is subject to Christ, so wives ought also to be to their husbands and everything. So how does a wife supposed to love her husband? In the same way as she relates to Christ? With a what kind of love? Submitting love. So by this time, you're probably seeing a pattern <clears throat> Excuse me. in the relationships that we've looked at. So go ahead, next, next slide. What you notice here, in every case, the biblical dynamic for a love relationship is based on the dynamic of a giving and submitting love. This means that in salvation and marriage, God is giving us the opportunity to experience and express the love in the fullness, in the pattern of the Godhead. Isn't that amazing? God, who is a God of love, says, as I love you, I want you to experience the love that we in the Godhead experience. And so you have the same dynamic. In marriage, it's the same thing. He's saying, I want you to experience the fullness of love. And the way that you do that is through a giving and submitting love that is built on trust. Sometimes people who are into women's lib or women's rights 
are down on biblical marriage because they think that the Bible teaches that men are superior to women. They think that for a woman to submit in marriage is degrading or lessening of the worth of a woman. That couldn't be further from the truth. They fail to understand that biblical love is God's gift to us to experience and express the fullness of his love. Do you see the contrast in, in that? God has given us a great gift and treasure, but it just often goes unrecognized because we don't understand the dynamics of biblical love. We don't understand what God has given us in giving us the very, the very nature of his love and the Godhead that we might experience in a personal relationship. Is it perfect as it is in the Godhead? Nope. But it's modeled after that, and as we obey and fulfill that, we experience that love. So how about you? What has been your attitude toward God's dynamic of love in marriage? Have you really seen it for what it is, a tremendous gift? Or you have been treating it like a kind of an oppressive burden? Sort of easy to get into. I mean, there's a whole bunch of jokes we make about the relationship. You know, the world laughs about that. But the reality is, outside of a love relationship with God through Jesus, that's the second greatest relationship in terms of experiencing love and trust and the joy that comes, comes from it. You know, if you have been kind of down on marriage or maybe not as rejoicing in it, what you need to do is say, God, I blew it. That's a mistake. I didn't understand. That's the idea of a change of thinking that brings a change of action. That's called repentance. It's saying, I haven't recognized my wife as such a gift, or I haven't recognized my husband was such a special gift in that way. And I understand what you want us to experience. You see, if we settle for what the world says marriage should be or what love should be, we're settling for so much less than what God wants our love relationship to be with each other and also in marriage. God's design is abundant life, and a part of that abundant life is experience that dynamic of love in a marriage relationship. What has been your attitude toward God's invitation to you regarding a relationship with him? Have you chased over God's desire that you obey and be submissive to his commandments? Do you now understand that God is really doing that because he's wanting to love you? You know, one of the things when we uh, lived in Syracuse, lived on a very busy street. It was, uh, uh, yeah, and Genesee Street, four lanes, uh, double traffic, and we lived in a house with a real short, steep front yard, and then boom, you're into the street, okay? We had a nice paved backyard because it was a parking lot for the church in the back there because we uh, did church in our house. And <clears throat> so the kids could play in the backyard all they wanted to, right? But they weren't allowed to play in the front yard. Was that because I was a mean, mean nasty dad and didn't want to have them any fun? Nope. What was I trying to do? Protect them, right? Because I knew if, you know, kids fooling around, running around, you're going to knock somebody, they're going to roll down that hill, right? 
And if they couldn't stop soon enough, we're going to line up, line up in, a, in the street, in a busy street. See, God's commandments are love, are always of love. He who obeys commandments he has for me is the man who loves me. He who loves me will love my father, and I also will love him and reveal myself to him. That's John 14, 21. See, God is a God of love, and when we obey his commandments of love, we experience his love because his commandments are the best for us in that way. Again, we're a very independent people. We're independent because we're sinful people and we want to do our thing, right? We're also independent because we're Americans, right? So, you know, independence is a good deal. That's what we want. But the reality is that the blessing comes when I obey, when I'm able to submit to God and obey his commandments because God really knows best. You know, I've tried it my way a couple times, more than a couple times. It really didn't work out that well in that way. But God's way, it works. It's not always easy, but it's the way that brings blessing into our lives. Maybe you're here today and have never responded to God's invitation to have a relationship with you. Well, you can do that. Again, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. When he says whoever or, or whosoever, that's God's invitation to you. God doesn't leave anybody out. He invites us all. He desires a love relationship with us. So how do you accept God's love relationship? Basically, it's a proposal. And the way that you do is that you admit that you're a sinner. Admit that you've fallen short of what God desired you to be and to relate to other people. And that you say, I want to change. And that you believe that Jesus Christ is God's son. That he came to earth. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross to pay the penalty of our sins. And so that you have, that God has provided a savior. Because the problem is, even though we want to say, God, yeah, I've sinned, I want to change. There's not the power to change. And the other thing is that we're guilty, and the wages of sin is death. But God in his love gave Jesus Christ as a payment for that guilt, that sin. And so now I don't go to heaven based on my goodness. I go to heaven based on God's goodness, that he's given us Jesus Christ, that we can put our trust, that's that word, right, faith in Jesus Christ to, forgive, to accept his forgiveness for his payment on the cross for my sins. And that and the way I do that is to confess him as my Lord and Savior. What that means is saying, God, I don't want to live life my way anymore. I want to live it your way. That I want to know you and know your word so I can obey you and follow your ways. <clears throat> so admit that you're a sinner. Believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and then confess him as your Lord and Savior. That's the way you accept God's invitation of love. <clears throat> I'm going <clears> to <throat> express that in a short prayer. And just uh, if you're here today and would like to repeat that prayer, you can repeat that prayer in your heart as I pray it out loud. So I want to ask everybody to bow their head and just, uh, uh, and you pray with me and you silently if this is your prayer. <clears throat> Father, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner that I have not lived life the way that I should. 
and I've fallen short of your uh, perfect love and just ask your forgiveness. And I believe that Jesus Christ is your son, that he came from heaven, that he lived a perfect life, that he died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. And Father, I ask that uh, for forgiveness based on that as I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Savior. And I just ask you that you'd help me to live life in a way that honors you, that pleases you, that I would know you, and that I would live life in a way that glorifies you. Father, I thank you for your forgiveness. I thank you that you love me and that you accepted me as your child. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, if you prayed that prayer, I encourage you to talk to Pastor Dan or the elders afterwards, because this is the beginning of a great journey, a great love relationship, a love relationship that will be for all eternity, as you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Pastor Dan.